Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Business Writers Radio. Brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Business Writers Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you this afternoon. Lee, you've had your afternoon coffee. You ready for this one? Absolutely. I'm excited. Hey, this is going to be a lot of fun. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast. Speaking business strategist, communication rebel, also successful author. She wrote the book, Speak Up for Your Business, Presentation Secrets for Entrepreneurs Ready to Tell, Sell, and Compel. Dr. Michelle Mazur, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. So, Michelle, how did you kind of get along this career path? Oh, wow. So in one way or shape, I have always been in this career path. So my love affair with speaking began in high school when I was really terrible at it. I was so terrible. I joined the speech and debate team so I could get better and would get my butt kicked on the regular. And that love found me getting a PhD in communication. And eventually after being a professor and not really loving that and then working in corporate and definitely not loving that, I decided to start my own business, really capitalizing on my first love, which was speaking and putting that PhD to good use. So where did the book come in? At what point did you decide to write the book? So the book came in, I was, I started a blog, which is the Communication Rebel blog about five years ago. And I was still working full-time in market research. And I decided, I was like, you know what? I have some great content here. I think it's time to write a book and really establish my expertise around speaking for business owners. Mm-hmm. And then so uh, the book came from the blog, used the blog as a kind of a jumping off point? Yes, for sure. Yeah, the book came from the blog because I had about two years of content and I was publishing once or twice a week regularly. So there was so much material there that I could draw from and reuse and polish up and repackage and put it into a book. If you're looking to write a book, that's a good way to go. If you have a lot of material, it's an excellent place to start because then you're not just staring at the blank page with a cursor taunting you. So now the blog though, is that filled with kind of how-to stuff? Or is it stories of your speaking? Is it tips and tricks? Uh, what's on the blog? Um, it's a little bit of how-to, although I am not one of those people who puts together a bunch of random speaking tips. Mm-hmm. It is some case studies of like how to get speaking gigs. It can be, you know, like this past week I did a, I've moved from blogging into podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I did a podcast episode about an exercise that everyone should do as a speaker before they step on stage, before they pitch themselves or before they negotiate their speaking fee. So some of it is very practical and useful. And then there are like case studies that's like, well, this is how this person is doing it. And the premise of your work is that business owners should be considering speaking as a way as one of their marketing channels. 
Oh, absolutely. Yes. Because I feel that speaking is one of those things that really helps business owners establish their expertise Mm -hmm. and gets them known in the marketplace. So how does a business owner, and are you saying this works for like the plumber, like it works for any business owner or more in the personal, um, you know, consulting or the service, professional services? It can work for plumbers because I know plumbers who go and speak to chambers and to like BNI groups, their networking groups where they have to do presentations about what they do. My business really focuses more on the service oriented professional, but Mm -hmm. it can work for both. So if I'm a consultant, um, so how do I go about beginning this process? Yeah. So when you are just starting out as a speaker, I think it's important to focus on two things. I call these the two S's. The first thing to focus on is the speech, because ultimately that is the product that you as a speaker is there. You're selling that Uh and it needs to be a very good product and get a specific result for the audience. So focusing on the speech and making that amazing and valuable to audiences and to people who would have you in to speak. And the second part of that is focusing on the S word no one likes to talk about, sales. Because (laughs) at the end of the day, even if you're doing this to get clients or you're doing this to get paid, and hopefully either way you're getting paid, it's sales is what is going to make it happen. You have to have a marketing plan. How are you going to get people to know about the speech you've created? And then you have to get on the phone and sell it in and have a negotiation conversation. And the sooner you start with getting that product, your speech, and having that marketing and sales plan, the more successful you're going to be. But I can't have my speech be kind of an infomercial for my consultancy, can I? Absolutely not. (laughs) I would not recommend that whatsoever. So when I talk to speakers who want to speak for their business and not like the paid professional speaking, I talk about... um, method called the client attraction speech. And how that starts is like you sell your speech into an organization where your ideal people are. And you give a speech that honestly just gives. Like you give and you give and you're going for a concrete transformation for that audience. And then at the end of the speech, instead of being like, and run to the back of the room and buy now, and it's $9.97, you don't do any of that. But you offer them something that allows them to go deeper into your topic. So it could be, you know, like a free mini course. It could be, you might do one-on-one consultations. And then you have a way to nurture them typically through email. So then they can become clients and customers. And I really feel speaking is one of those ways to take people who don't know you from Adam and warm them up really quickly and see the value of their work and be interested in working with you. So now if I'm in a a market, how do I, am I looking at just kind of local opportunities? I'm looking at, like you mentioned, Chamber of Commerce or Rotary or those coal or Leeds clubs. Is that where I'm looking to speak or am I looking to speak at companies? Like how, how does this, how do I kind of get that database of uh, potential speaking places? 
Yeah, it really depends on your business. So if you are like, I have a friend who's opening up a co-working space. So for her, going out and speaking locally makes sense because she wants to attract new members to her co-working space. I have a business that is international at this point in time. So for me, like my database of where I could speak is much bigger. But I think the best way to start finding gigs is, you know, thinking, do I want to speak locally or can I be more national or international with my speaking? So you get that vision of where you're going. But when you're first starting out, it's all about going to your network and the people that know and love you and you have relationships with and telling them what you're up to. Like, hey, I'm really going after speaking this year. This is what I, you know, this is what I'm talking about. You know, this is the audience I'm going after. Do you know anyone who would be interested? And I think that is really the key. Starting with who you know, tell them what you're doing and if there's anyone they could introduce you to. Because they your your network doesn't know what you're up to and they want to help and support you. So starting there is the key to starting to find some speaking gigs. Now, uh, when does the conversation, you mentioned sales as part of this. When mm-hmm. does the money conversation take place when I'm talking with a potential speaking opportunity? Yes. So number one, it never takes place over email. Like even if somebody emails you and says, hey, how I much? really want you to come to our organization right. and speak. How much do you charge? Do not tell them over email. So this is when you are on the telephone. So even if you're just building a relationship with an organization, you don't send them an email and say, hey, I have this great speech for you and I charge whatever. Instead, you assess, you know, you do kind of a pitch and say, you know, this is what I know about your company. This is what I love about your company. And this is what I can do. Are you interested? And then if they are interested it's time for the phone conversation, but you don't start with money even on the phone conversation. You start with what is going on currently in their organization. So understanding what their day-to-day reality is like, what the challenges they are facing in that organization and showing how the experience of you speaking or your speech can actually solve some of their challenges. And that's where you get to the value. And only after you've really established what you can do for them Mm -hmm. by being a speaker, that's when you start talking about money. Now, when you're just starting out, start at a lower price or is it prices is less relevant? It's more value. You want to have a value conversation, not a kind of really a money conversation. Yeah. So when you're just starting out, especially if you have a new product, your new speech, and you need some experience, you might be speaking for free. And I have a very... like I really want people to get paid to speak because there's so much free speaking and it's hard to break out of. And that hurts all the speakers, right? Because if they think, oh, speakers are free, then that, that hurts the entire speaker market. Yes, exactly. And I I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. I just read an article in Forbes magazine about tech speakers and how they don't pay many speakers because I don't know why, but that is like, well, it's the tech industry. But 
you know, that is becoming more in the forefront. And so if you speak for free, it hurts everyone else. Mm -hmm. But there are times when it might behoove you to waive your fee instead of thinking it as free speaking because you're testing out new material or you're getting a great video from it or they're buying a ton of your books, for instance, if you have a book. That's a great way to get paid without actually getting a fee. So negotiating around that. But there has to be a time when you say, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. And then depending on the type of speaker you are, like if you're just starting out and you're starting out as a keynote speaker, like a common price for that is $5,000 for a keynote. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's negotiation. Like, I'm not saying you're going to get five grand, but... People don't take you seriously if you're not charging at least that. They're thinking, you know, if you're like, it's a thousand dollars, they're like, ooh, what's wrong? It must not be very good. <laughs> now, but so, it, does that include my um, airfare and hotel and expenses like that? Or is that absorbed in the $5,000? Or is that part so, of negotiation? Well, actually, that's part of how you decide your speaking structure, your speaking fee structure. So some people do like an all-inclusive fee. So they will charge more or they have like I've seen it where people have based on the region. So like if you're on the West Coast, my speaking fee is $7,500 and that's all inclusive. Like I'll pay, I'll get take care of my airfare and all of that. But if I have to go all the way to the East Coast, then that's going to be $10,000 because it's going to cost a lot more to get me there. It's going to be more travel time. It's going to be more of my time. So you can do like an all-inclusive fee or you can decide, you know, my fee is $5,000 plus travel and expenses. Uh, Michelle, so who, but in terms of role in the organization, who is actually making this by decision and electing to to hire a, a speaker in a company? That varies. That's like the million dollar question. <laughs> right. Um, because some people will feel like, oh, I need to pitch the CEO of the company or the CMO. And those are usually not the people who are putting on an event. It's usually someone, it could be someone in HR, it could be someone in the marketing department. And of course, final approval has to be passed by whoever the decision maker is. But usually, like, like it, you know, it could be you know a marketing director of marketing who's putting on an event, and you know they have to get their CMO's permission for a speaker lineup. But really, that director is going to be the one who decides and who's like, okay, this is who I think we should bring in. So it really depends. And as a speaker, you have to ask. Like, there is nothing wrong with calling an organization and being like, hey, I see that you have an event going on. You know, who who's organizing that? And that will point you into the re- in the right direction. Now, once you kind of find that association or organization that has a conference and then you get to speak there, is that kind of an area that you're like, okay, well, if, if I spoke at the West Coast version of this association, let me see what other associations and then you kind of try to work that whole circuit? Yes. Well, and it's when when you have a speech that's really good, one of the things you want to happen is have people recommend you. Mm -hmm. So if you knock it out of the park for one association or organization, all of the people who plan these events, they talk to each other. And 
it becomes really easy for you to keep that relationship going and say, oh, wow, we have this great experience together. I'm so glad your people love me. Do you know anyone else? And if you did a great job, they have no problem referring you. And then it becomes like a snowball. So it becomes easier and easier to get speaking opportunities because you're a known quantity and people are now recommending you. Now, should that be part of your kind of speaking uh, experience is some sort of feedback where you're given the opportunity for them to say how great you are? Well, there's usually an evaluation form that most meeting planners, event organizers have baked in that rate speakers mm-hmm. from the audience's perspective. But I think where speakers make a mistake or business owners make a mistake is they go and they speak. They think that's the end of the relationship. And really, you're probably at the midpoint of your relationship after you've had a speaking event. Because now it's the time to follow up to see how it went. You know, get them on the phone, see if they have any feedback for you, get a testimonial, ask for that referral, and just keep the lines of communication open. Because if you know, if you touch base with them every couple of months to just say, hey, how's it going? Or, oh, I saw this article and it really reminded me of, you know, what your organization is trying to accomplish you stay more top of mind and they're going to be more likely to refer you and to think of you for future events. Now, you mentioned that to look at your speech as kind of a product, right? Mm -hmm. That's something you're selling. And you mentioned that having a book is a good product also to have because you can use it for back-end sales. It's another way to generate, to monetize the speech, Mm -hmm. right? And your work. Yeah. And it's probably a good way to introduce yourself to a possible speaking opportunity by sending them your book (laughs) so they can see that you're an expert in whatever you're saying you're an expert in. So uh, when you're coaching your clients, is this something you're helping them build kind of this portfolio of products like your speech and a book and things like that? Yeah, I mostly focus on the speaking part of it. So Mm -hmm. people usually come to me when you know, they're at a certain point in their business, like, you know, they have like a one-on-one practice or their consulting business is full up. And they're at that point where they're really wanting to impact more people, make a bigger difference Mm -hmm. without having to work more. So at this point in time, they usually have some type of methodology that they've been using in their work, or they have a framework, or they have a book already. So for me, I focus on the speech. Although sometimes, it's like I work with someone and we write a speech and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to turn this into a book. So it can work either way. But, but they do go me, hand in hand, the speech, speech in the book a lot of times. Oh, absolutely. And I think I don't want speakers to feel like, oh man, I've got to, you know, I've got to have this book before I become a speaker because that's not necessarily true. Your speech can be turned into a book. And, you know, speaking is a long-term strategy for your business. So the sooner you get out there and you start speaking and you start getting known, the better. The quicker you start earning money and getting your name out there and getting more clients. So I think, you know, don't let the fact that you don't have a book stop you from speaking. And if you do have a book, you should totally be speaking. So you think pretty much every author should be a speaker. And it's probably in a long-term view of things, every speaker should have a book at some point in time. Yes. 
Absolutely. Maybe not the first day, but you should be working towards it, whether you're just kind of turn your speech into a book. Yeah, because it's really about your body of work. And Mm -hmm. so your speech is a part of that body of work. And I mean, nowadays, it's so easy to self-publish that you could actually take your speech, have it transcribed, add some content to it, and turn it into a book that you can you know, upload to Amazon fairly quickly. Like it doesn't have to be a big, complex, lock yourself in a cabin for three months (laughs) straight and book. You can take your body of work, whether it's the speech, maybe you do podcasts, maybe you do blogs and really sculpt that into a book. Well, yeah, say a little bit more about that because you mentioned it earlier in the conversation podcast because that is another way to speak, to capture good thought leadership, to distribute good thought leadership? Or has that been your experience so far? Absolutely. I am, well, number one, I'm a podcast addict. I listen to them all the time (laughs) and I have my own podcast. And what's been great about podcasting, it's number one, it's a way to experiment with your message. Like if you are writing a new speech or you're, you know, building this body of work, you can find out quickly like what is resonating. But podcasting has an intimacy that blogging and books just don't have because you're literally inside somebody's head once a week and they're listening to your words. It's like they're having a conversation with you. So they get to know who you are and what you're all about very quickly, which is great if you're looking for some clients. I know I've gotten amazing clients because of my podcast, but it's a great, it's another great way to build your platform, which helps your speaking business. Now, how often do you um, come up with a new speech? Oh, not very often. <laughs> <laughs> I I really subscribe to this um, philosophy of having a signature talk. Mm-hmm. So you have this talk that you've written and it's the message that you want to be known for. It highlights your expertise and what you want to what you want to have a what you want to accomplish for the audience. And then what I do is Based on the audience, I customize some parts of it. So the message stays the same, but I might swap out examples, do different introductions, have a different conclusion to make it more relevant to that audience. Because writing a new speech, I mean, I do this for a living, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. So if you write a one really good speech, you want to be able to use that again and again for at least the next five years. Wow. And then um, your speech, what is it about when you speak? Yeah. So I have a speech called Your Unfair Speaking Advantage, and it is all about being different and standing out to get noticed. So I have this model that I use with my speakers to really find what positions them well. It's a speech about positioning, but (laughs) it's about what positions them well in the marketplace so that they rise above the noise. And then you give that speech to speakers? Is that where you do most of your speaking? I've done it for speakers. I've adapted it for business owners, creative entrepreneurs, you know, because it, because 
honestly, when you're talking about positioning, you can really take that and and give it to different types of audiences with a few tweaks. So if I'm talking to speakers, I make it very speaker focused, but the three main points are still the same. The core message is still the same and it works out really well. Earlier in the conversation, I believe you mentioned having a pretty substantial international client base. I'm really intrigued by that. And I have not had that experience, international clients. And I, candidly, I find it a little bit intimidating, but can you speak to that a little bit and how that came to, to unfold for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. I've had right now, I have clients in Canada, Australia, Singapore, and Germany, which just blows my mind. <laughs> and I think part of it is because of the reach of the internet and podcasting because uh -huh. Do you know doing what I do? I do most of it much like this over a conference line. I record my sessions. We use Google Drive to collaborate on the speech and the documents and the workbooks that I use. And so I don't have to have a client that's in Seattle, Washington. I can work with people anywhere. And because of blogging and the podcast, my reach has really grown exponentially. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have clients from all around the world, which is pretty cool. Now, how do you promote your podcast and your speaking? Yeah. So I do like with the podcast, I do some social media work. So, you know, Facebook, I'm doing a lot of Facebook lives lately that coincide with it. A little bit of paid advertising as well. Um, Twitter is another big place. And I also promote it on my blog and asking, you know, doing some outreach every once in a while and asking influencers or when I do interviews, asking those people to share the podcast. That's a great way to build the audience. With my speaking, it's really more about personal outreach. Uh, and I'll admit, like almost every speaking gig I have ever got was from someone I know. Although I just booked one yesterday and it was because she listened to my podcast. So <laughs> my podcast helps market my speaking because I'm inside people's ears. So I get speaking opportunities that way. But it's also about using my own network and reaching out to them when I'm looking for speaking gigs and seeing who they might know and who they could introduce me to because that's the best way to land a speaking gig. Now, what do you want more of? More speaking gigs or more kind of this uh, working with clients to help them become better speakers? Right now, I'm focusing on more getting more clients to become better speakers. Because for me, I really want to have an army of rebel speakers out there doing good in the world and giving really good speeches and making a big difference with their message and their bold points of view. So that's my main focus. And I'm still speaking some, although this year I'm taking a little more a little hermit time, I would say, <laughs> and putting the brakes on, being way more selective and not speaking as much so I can, you know, spend more time with my husband and my cats. <laughs> now, is there a signature that um, rebel speakers have that sets them apart from just regular run-of-the-mill speakers? Yeah, they have very bold and edgy viewpoints. 
They're not afraid to tell it like it is, even if it makes other people uncomfortable. I always talk about there are me too speakers that you could literally take their speech and give it yourself and people would think it was your speech because it's like commonplace knowledge. There's nothing really new. They're just like recycling the knowledge of the greats. But to me, a rebel speaker is somebody who sees that and goes, yeah, but I think there's a better way. Or yes, and you should do this. So they're giving a bold viewpoint that's different from the conventional wisdom out there. Now, um, some I would think would take that to be shocking or doing something controversial. Is that what you're saying? Or is there an elegant way to do that? There is an elegant way to do that. Um, I often talk about how to push boundaries with people without turning them off. Because there is a way to position yourself as a speaker as more of a trendsetter versus like, let's burn it all down to the ground (laughs) and deliver your message in a way that meets the audience where they are and then slowly takes them where you want them to go to think about something differently. So there is a way to do it that builds relationships instead of tears them down or makes people feel bad for their point of view. Do you have any advice for a new uh, speaker or maybe a new author? Yes. For a new speaker, number one, tell everyone you know that you're speaking and that you're looking for speaking opportunities because you never know what you're going to find. Don't keep it a secret and don't try to do it all by yourself. Number two, work on that speech. Make it the best possible product it can be. Whether you work with someone like me on it, you 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 go to Toastmasters and you develop that speech. You have to be a master at speaking as well as be the master of your topic area. So working on that. And then, you know, don't be afraid to sell your speech, to have those conversations with people and negotiations. Because as soon as you start doing... The sooner you do that, the better. So tell everyone you know, really work on the speech and get your sales game on because you're going to need it. Now, how do you come up with an actual dollar amount? Is it the largest number you can say in the mirror without laughing? Like, (laughs) how do you do this? Well, with well, like with professional speakers, and I don't think people know this because they're like, oh, I don't know how to price this. But with professional like keynote speakers, there are actually different levels. So, like I mentioned earlier, like five thousand dollars is usually what a speaker starting out charges, and then like ten thousand dollars is someone who's been speaking, has a bit of a platform, maybe they have a book that they've self-published, so they're more of a known quantity. And then, you know, you can, in that area, you can go up to like ten dollars to $20,000. Usually when you're going from like twenty-five dollars to $35,000, you are now like a best-selling author, like New York Times best-selling authors. And anything above thirty-five dollars you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I think we've heard stories of like Bill Clinton making, you know, $250,000. Right, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Gig. Right. Yeah. Like he was president. Yeah, you can earn <laughs> that when you're president. <laughs> But so just like a a nonfiction writer or somebody in business is going to have a hard time getting six figures per speech, but it's not unusual to get five figures. 
Yeah, like Malcolm Gladwell can get six figures per speech, and he does because he's Malcolm Gladwell. But for most people, you know, I mean, most of my clients come out making at least $10,000 per speaking gig. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not unusual. Okay, before we wrap, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to get in touch with you, where they can get their hands on your book, but uh, perhaps more importantly, uh, how they can maybe have a conversation with you or someone on your team if they want to talk about these topics. So whatever's appropriate, website, LinkedIn, email, social media coordinates, that kind of thing. Yeah. So if they want to have a conversation with me about adding speaking to their business, they can go to drmichellemazer.com slash speak. And that takes them to a strategy application. And so I ask them some questions. And based on those, we can hop on the phone and talk about their speaking business. And you can find everything that I do over at drmichellemazer.com. And I spend a lot of time on Facebook. So I have the Rebel Speaker Facebook group that anyone can join, or you can like me at facebook.com, Dr. Michelle Mazer. Well, what a delight to have you on the show today. This has been invigorating, inspiring. I didn't get an afternoon espresso. It's afternoon here, uh, but I did. I got I got it virtually by, by getting a chance to visit and, and listen to you. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. This was These were such great questions. <laughs> All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lead Cantor. Our guest this afternoon, Dr. Michelle Mazur, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Business Writers Radio. Business Writers Radio is brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. To learn more about developing a successful book and building your business around it, visit business-writers-exchange.com.